Right, hello and welcome back to the Black Belt and Thinking Podcast. I'm Peter, and today we're talking about the cognitive biases buyers have when looking to buy property. So many of us have either been there or will be there again uh, buying a house, and it's a major purchase, so we obviously want to make the most rational decision we can. And if we think about buying a house, there's always a selling agent, right? There's always somebody pitching the house. They're doing what's in their best interest and what's in the best interest of the seller. Um, and us as the buyer, on the other hand, are subject to our own our own biases. So today I'm joined by Rhiannon Jenkins, who is a property buyer's agent on the buyer's side of the transaction. I'll let her explain, but essentially here to help them navigate through these biases and everything else that goes with it. Welcome to the Black Belt and Thinking podcast. I'm Peter Cronin, lead presenter of the Black Belt and Thinking. This is a podcast where we look at all things to do with thinking faster and acting more purposefully. I interview experts in their field to try and provide you with the insights to the way they think and the tools and processes they use on a day-to-day basis. If you find value in this podcast, love for you to share it with others. So, hello, Rhiannon. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so as you said, I'm a property buyer's agent, and my job is to represent the interests of the buyer through the property purchase. So that means anything from researching, searching, inspecting property, um, appraising and evaluating property as well, and negotiating and bidding at auction on their behalf. And as Peter suggested, most people do sell their houses through a selling agent, but when you think about it, not many people actually use a buyer's agent to represent their side of the, the story. So I'm there to represent their interests and guide them through the whole process. Cool. All right. And obviously, there's, uh, this is why we're here, is there's so many biases we can be subject to ourselves, um, and you... I guess for two reasons. One is because you're a professional, so you've seen a lot more before. You're you're actively looking for these biases, all that sort of thing. And also, you're not as invested. Quite often, when we're emotionally invested in something, we're most susceptible to our biases. Yeah, exactly. So the whole process is very complex. There's many different decisions to make along the way, and there's many different people involved in the transaction. And particularly if it's your own home that you're going to live in, it's a highly emotional purchase. And even if it's an investment property, it's your financial future. So of course, there's going to be emotions at play there. And my job is to be a neutral party, so a third party that stands in between the the selling and the, I guess, spruiking at times aspects <laughs> of, of property because let's be honest, the selling agent represents the seller and needs to get the highest price and so will do what they can to sell that property. And I sit in between that and the buyer to make sure the buyer can objectively evaluate each individual property and make sure it suits their needs and their needs only. Makes sense. And we've mentioned a few times on the podcast before that anyone who's a good We've usually said seller, sometimes negotiator, but basically convincer uses people's biases against them. Often subconsciously, they're not they're not trying to do it. It's not like they went and researched them all and they're trying to ah, I'll play the you know availability bias card now. It's just their natural tendency. If you are good at convincing people of doing things, is you're going to inherently end up playing to people's biases because that's what works. 
So, yeah, and that's so. their skill and their art form as well. And they don't do things, you know, intentionally, maliciously or, you know, uh, out of character, I suppose. They just do what works. They do, exactly. Yeah. And that is their job, yeah. to represent a sell. So, of course, they're going to try and make that product as appealing as possible to potential buyers. So, yeah, full credit to them to try yeah. and sell the property as best they can. And... Yeah, I think a really skilled selling agent will use the biases to their favor, mm. essentially. And they might not consciously, as you say, select a bias to play against a buyer in the market, but they are very skilled and will use these certain biases in their advantage and in their favor. Cool. All right. So, so obviously what we're here for today is to out of interest to anybody just you know different industry how it all works but also to to learn and to arm yourself so to speak um for the conversations um i always think one of the most important things often meta and i are discussing but on, on this podcast that we go through is the examples because you can talk about the concepts and people nod along and you hear like when we re- research the concepts we go oh yeah this is really interesting and oh i have to watch out for that but it's easier said than done but if you get specific examples then you encounter when you encounter those examples it's like a mental trigger you go oh that's right this was on the podcast i should do x to, to sort of account for this so that's what we'll do today we'll go through um we've got sort of the five top ones that we've discussed that we think apply to um uh property buying and Rhiannon's going to talk you through uh you know some tips on how to how to tackle them all as well um when you come up to them all right, so rip into it. Um, should we start with availability bias? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll just give a brief sort of nerd's rundown on what, what these things are, and then you can talk about how it applies to yeah. the buyer. Okay. Cool. So availability bias, um, your brain only knows what it sees, right? So, I mean, that sounds kind of obvious and stupid when you, when you put it that simply, but it, it can't know what it doesn't know. The problem is it then basically makes assumptions and extrapolates from what it's seen. So... If you've got very limited experience with something, in this example, I won't, I won't get too much into it, but let, let's say you've only ever seen two properties that you've looked at buying. Your brain's going to make all these assumptions that that basically every other property has similar traits to these ones because that's all it knows. So all it can possibly do is guess that other properties have the same pro- traits as these properties. Um, so how does, how does availability bias come into to buying? Yeah, I think that's a good example that you shared. And I think another example that we see in real estate is the news and the media and what the narrative is around the property market. So we know that in 2021, it was a really hot year for the property market. And there were a million and one uh, news articles, social media posts, you know, TV blasts about how hectic the property market was and that you needed to get in now or you would miss out. And that's an example of availability bias because that's the information that is clogging your newsfeed and that's information that's available to you. So it's likely to push you in the direction if you were already considering it to purchase in that current market. Hmm. On the flip side as well, at the moment we're seeing a cooling of the market but there are some people and some so-called experts and actual experts in the industry, <laughs> to be frank, that are saying the property market is going to crash by, you know, 10, 15, 20%. 
And that information available to people out there might trigger them to pause their search or to hold back. And that's purely because of the information that's available to them. So that's another example of that bias that you may not be consciously aware of, but you're being bombarded with all this information and you don't know any better. And probably... I know from my own uh, experience, the moment you start looking at properties, the moment you start going on domain or realestate.com or whatever, like my Instagram feed, everything just gets starts getting smashed by property stuff. Like obviously the algorithms are working to this. And that probably means I'm getting articles pumped at me from real estate companies, now that I think about it. And those are going to be biased towards buy now, right? Because yeah. that's what they want me to do. Mm-hmm. So... It's well, it's exactly this availability bias. The information that's available is all skewed in one direction. So my yep. brain just goes, "Oh, well, this is the way it is." Yep, exactly. Yeah. So what can what can a buyer do to, you know, combat that? Yeah, I think uh, a tip around availability bias is to essentially be more skeptical when yeah, you okay. are reading news or consuming information. Yeah, I think it's important to be skeptical of information that you're not paying for to represent your interests. So, Mm. for example, if you're paying uh, a service provider to represent your interests and you've done your research around their qualification and skill, then you probably don't need to be be so skeptical. Like your lawyer, you trust your lawyer. Yeah, because they have your interests and that's their duty to you. So, when I say be skeptical, it's about all of this free type of information or people that are trying to sell to you. What is their true interest at heart Um, so I would say be more proactive in seeking out credible sources of information to try and back up any claims that you are seeing in news outlets or on um, you know websites or, or whatever it be so just try and yeah seek out other credible sources that can back up those claims in yeah. order to try and um, challenge the information that's out there yeah okay and there's always there's always out there right I mean prime example right now we've got the census data coming out that's just data it's unbiased I mean, obviously, if you read a news article about it, people might skew it. But. Well, that's the thing. If you read a news article about the census data or what, how they're interpreting it, go back to the ABS website and actually look if their claims are yeah. substantiated by the data in ABS. Right. And if they are, okay, then tick. You can read that as a credible source. But if they're trying to skew it to their own personal interest in a particular yeah. area... Um, then at least, you know, you have the awareness to go, look, availability bias is coming into play here. I just need to check myself and go back to more credible news sources to challenge any bias that I have. Yep, that makes sense. That makes sense. This podcast is brought to you by the BBIT. If you want to improve your own thinking and problem-solving skills, visit blackboutandthinking.com to sign up now. All right. Anything else on availability bias? Or should we get into the next one? Let's go to the next All right. one, I reckon. Confirmation bias. So this is, this can sound a little bit similar on the surface, but it's, we see what we already think. So the bias is confirming what we already believe. And you've probably seen this in all sorts of places. I mean, 
prime example of this, right, is like watching a sports match and when your team gets penalised, you think it's rubbish, but when the other team gets penalised, you think it's fair and they've been doing it all day, ref. It's, it's that sort of thing. You've already got a bias, so you just your brain looks for things to confirm what you already want to see. You think you might have a dream house, and so you really want to see it as a dream house because you want this to be the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think confirmation bias can happen when you get bio fatigue as well. So if you've been searching for quite some time, you will, I guess, look for preferences or look for things to confirm your own point of view to yeah. try and back up your decision. So. An example of that would be looking at particular areas. Say for an investment property, you already like a certain suburb and then you go, oh, there's um, a refurbishment of the train station happening or there's a Woolworths being put in down the street in this suburb. Therefore, it's a good suburb to invest in. So you're right. finding nice things uh, in that suburb <laughs> to confirm your view. But taking those points in isolation doesn't necessarily mean it's a good place to invest in. It's just you already have a skew and a bias to that area. You just need that tick just to confirm it. Yeah, right. Uh, so that would be an example of confirmation bias. Another one is if you are searching online for properties um, during your search and say you're looking for an apartment and you see one and you go, okay, awesome, this has got a pool, it's got a spa, it's got lifts, it's got all the facilities and amenities that I need. You rock up at the inspection and you realise that it's facing a highway or that it's actually, it's not really a two-bedroom, it's a one-bedroom plus a study and that's a hard no for you. But you've already talked this up in your head to being an amazing complex because of all the facilities and amenities and you're willing to overlook seemingly big aspects because you've already confirmed in your mind that you like it yeah and you're already biased because you're going in with that mindset of this is a good place it needs to work backwards from there so you're not being very objective in in that in that process and maybe if you're dealing with a good agent and you stupidly told them all of this on the phone (laughs) they make sure to walk you through oh we'll start with the pool (laughs) Yeah. Since you're really interested in that, they take you through the pool of the gym and then yeah. finally you get at the apartment. Yeah. <laughs> it's really hard because essentially you got to work backwards from there to try and tear you away from the property rather than try and convince you that it's a good place to buy or it's right for you. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So what do, what do we do about that one? I think having a checklist in place is really important when you're evaluating properties, whether it's to buy for yourself or for an investment property. This will avoid you getting caught up on the night in the nice shiny new things that are seemingly nice to haves yeah. that are sort of icing on the cake, but you want to have a checklist of okay, what's really important to me? What are the fundamentals I need in a house or an apartment? So I need two decent sized bedrooms because I have family that visit me. Yeah. For example, um I need to have a quiet location because I'm a shift worker. So I need it to be very, very quiet and have those as check boxes so that when you do come across this property with the nice shiny things, you can actually see, okay, does it suit my fundamental needs first and foremost? And that will try and prevent you from getting caught up in the hype and the excitement yep. of a property. That's funny, actually. Yeah, following the process is what we've recommended in the past, yeah. Because if I think about it and I go like, oh, I want to go look at this house because it looks like the the outdoor area, the barbecue area looks amazing. Yeah. And I go look at it. 
I make a beeline for the barbecue area where I should be doing the opposite, right? Yes. I should be methodically working through each room before I get to the bit that's going to sway me. Yeah, and look, it's not very exciting to have checklists <laughs> and processes in place. Everybody loves going on the portals and looking at amazing. It's got a pool. It's got the right paint that I like. It looks amazing, and that's the fun part. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to live in it or it's going to be a part you're of your financial future. Probably going to pour at least half your income into it for the next 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> so you want it to be the right decision for you because yeah. you'll get sick of the pool or you won't use the barbecue area as much as you thought. It'll rain all summer, like in Sydney. <laughs> yeah. So, but having two bedrooms is probably important. Not facing a highway is probably important. Enough bench space. Enough bench space, that is key, or storage also. So yeah. you just, unfortunately, it's not too exciting, but you need to think practically uh, about these decisions to avoid these biases creeping in and making a mistake. Yeah. Okay. That's good. I like it. Mm-hmm. All right. Sunk cost. I mean, this one comes in all sorts of places. Most people would have heard of this one, I think, but basically you put any time, money, or effort into something – you already feel like you've invested, so you you have this ten- you don't want to let go, um, boom, for all sorts of things. But obviously, property, right? The the as you start looking more and more into it. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, as you look more and more into a property, you start to get emotionally attached. All the other biases are already coming into play, and then. You say, okay, it's getting serious. I've spent four weeks of this property campaign getting ready for it, talking to the agent. Now it comes time to get the contract review, do the building and pest report. So building pest can cost, you know, between five and six hundred dollars, and then a contract review could be a few hundred dollars or, you know, a few thousand, depending on your solicitor. And paying those costs can actually skew your perception that this is even more so the right property for you <laughs> because I've already paid money to towards this property. Yeah. When you say it out loud like that, I mean, it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the potential purchase price and commitment that you're getting into. <laughs> a few hundred because, bucks on a few million. <laughs> yes, yeah. but somehow people think parting with $500 on this property is going to uh, attach me to this property even more so. Yeah. Mm. Mm, interesting so what do you do with that one just try and put it in perspective i think yes put it in perspective and the way to do that is by doing the math on it so actually saying it out loud or writing it down and saying okay this is going to cost me 550 dollars for a building and pest inspection versus a purchase price of you know, $700,000 of a property so i want to make sure this is the right one for me essentially so you know what's the cost of five hundred dollars if you do find in that report that there's major hazards major defects it's probably a cost that you want to pay up front you know to have that peace of should just budget for a bunch of them you go you go looking at properties be prepared to buy four four or five of these reports you could budget it up front so before you start your search factor that in to your budget so that when it comes to time you know you've already got that money in the kitty so you've already mentally prepared for it so it doesn't seem as much as a as a hit when it does come time to pay it yep makes sense makes sense all right anchoring bias so this is um this is a really interesting one, I think, just from the bias standpoint, because research has shown that 
you can't you can't necessarily totally do anything about this. Your brain just attaches itself to or anchors itself, but attaches to the first piece of information you get about something. So the first thing you hear about something you've never heard of before, your brain massively overweights. And that really comes into price for anything you're looking to buy. Is price is massive. Um, and the first price you hear, your brain goes, oh, well, that must be the price because it's got no other information. So it, it just anchors itself to that. So how, how does that come in? Yeah, so a very interesting one. You know, most people talk about price as the as the first thing when looking at a property. And as we said, selling agents are there to represent the seller and get the highest possible price for them. So what they'll do, if you're asking or inquiring about the price, Sometimes, rather than them just pulling out a number that the vendor wants, they'll try and substantiate that with their own comparable sales. Mm -hmm. So they'll provide you with a list of other things that have sold in the suburb or nearby that are a price which is more acceptable in the vendor's mind, if that makes sense. Vendor is the seller? The seller, yes. The vendor is the seller. So. The selling agent is going to provide you with comparable sales to try and get your headspace around, okay, this is $800,000, $820,000, These are the comparable sales I'm being provided by the agent. Therefore, your brain starts at that $800,000. Yeah, it starts high and goes, oh, well, okay, but this is the way it is. So that's a way that they can try and anchor. I mean, they're still providing comparables and hopefully they are reliable and accurate. But it's in their interest to cherry pick the ones that suit and serve their needs. Well, that's testimonials. The if there's four testimonials on a website, but they've had four thousand clients, they're probably going to be the best yeah. testimonials. They have the their most own, suited. Yeah, their own bias, obviously. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yes, they're going to do what they can to get the most price, uh, the highest price for the property. Yep. Okay. So, how do you? What do you do when they when they pull that trip? So you do your own research. Yep. You go to the sold section of the portals and yep. you look within the suburb. So something that's as close as possible, ideally the street, if not the suburb. Look at the accurate number of bedrooms, bathrooms, land size. So you want to find comparable pro- 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 comparable properties. So the properties that are sold that are very similar to what you're looking at and check the prices. What yep. did they sell? Because you might actually find that they're selling for $750, $780 yep. around that price point. And that's more of an accurate reflection of what the value of the property could be within that market. So just always fact check whatever the selling agent is giving you because we know they represent the seller. You are the buyer, so you need to make your own inquiries. Um, And just being aware that if they provide you with price information, they're going to try and anchor you at some certain level. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. That's actually really interesting because I I would have never thought of, like I'm sort of aware there's a sold set, like when you go to looking on the apps or whatever, the websites, Mm. there's, uh, what is it, there's buying, renting and sold. But I, I, I sort of think, well, who cares? Those ones are gone now, so why, why should I look at that? But it's an interesting one because yes. that's the real the real thing. The others are like, oh, this is what we'd like for it or this is what we're going to pitch it as if people are interested, whereas this is actually what it's sold for, so it's yes. real. Well, so, that's what people, they often don't know, you know, how much is the property worth? How much should I be prepared to offer on the property? So a side note, but that's the most accurate place to look because that's what the price the That's market real. is willing to pay yeah. for a similar type of product. So, therefore, you could, um, I guess, determine that that's 
close to the price of what the property you're looking at is worth. It's 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 actually it's data as opposed to somebody's marketing window sticker price, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. look, it depends on the market. So maybe there is really fierce competition and it's a scarce property and it does sell at or above expectations of yep. where the selling agent, the real estate agent is pitching it. But you just need to read between the lines and talk to the agent and understand what's going on in the market. And you can only do that by being in the market, inspecting, seeing what else is uh, trading and transacting. So that's the way. It's just generating your own knowledge of what prices look like in the market and not relying on what the selling agent is telling you. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Real data. There you go. Right, and the last one here that we'll cover is loss aversion. So basically people are more driven by fear or by risk, preventing risks, than they are by opportunity. And that's just, I think, a pure pure survival instinct, basically, as we've had to be historically. Um, what that means, most cases, I think, in real estate is... is what we call FOMO, right? Like you might say, oh, how can that be loss aversion? If I don't have the house, I can't lose it. But the, the, none of these things happen in isolation. So to draw back to a couple of them, we've got our confirmation bias that we already think that's our dream home. We've got our perhaps our sunk cost bias. Where we've already put some effort in. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we do stand to something to lose. Yeah. And therefore we get the fear of missing out. Is that, mm-hmm. is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So last year, 2021, is a prime example of that. So many people were missing out on property left, right and centre because prices were going through the roof and there were so many buyers on the case. It's also, you know, this um, phenomenon around social proof. So if we know that other people want the thing, we want it as well. And if we, if there's a risk that somebody else will get the thing that we want, you know, it is this loss aversion and we're going to feel, feel the feelings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the negative feelings and the emotional roller coaster that you go on. So to avoid those feelings, you might be more inclined to, to pay more or to see that property more favorably than you otherwise would if there wasn't that fierce competition. So, and I just know this, right? They say, oh, yes. there's two other buyers in the mix. There might be, there might not be. There might be, there might not be. Exactly. <laughs> so agents will play on your emotions and your feelings. And that's what a good selling agent should do. <laughs> yeah. That means they're doing their job right. Yeah. So they're going to play into your emotions and try and make you think that this is in high demand, this property, and you stand something to lose, something really big to lose if you don't buy this property. So it plays into your feelings and, you know, if you've already been through the campaign for four weeks, you've spent time away from your kids, you know, you've been inspecting, you haven't been with your friends because you've been researching, you've been been talking to your lawyer. You've been playing in the backyard. Exactly. (laughs) You've already moved in psychologically, so you do have a lot to lose. So that's... Loss aversion, yeah, essentially. Well, yes. All right. So that's that's a huge string people can pull, right? Like, yes. That's absolute tugging on the heartstring. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and even if it's an investment property as well, you might have pitched this in your mind and already done all the financial numbers. You've spoken to your accountant, financial planner. It just fits perfectly in your portfolio. And 
you want to move on with your life yep. and continue earning money and making money at your job rather than, you know, spending your lunch times or, you know, morning tea or during work, yep. looking and searching for properties. So you want to move on. Yep. Um, so you don't want to lose this golden opportunity or you think it's a golden opportunity that's in front of you. So what do you do about that? That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> Give up. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think... Um, one being conscious that FOMO does exist and yep. that selling agents will play into your emotions and you need to take things with a grain of salt, essentially. So I think a good test as well is thinking, if there was no other competition on this property, would you still want it? Mm. So that's probably from an owner-occupier perspective. So if you're buying to live in it, uh, if nobody else wanted it, would it still suit your needs? Because yep. if it's an investment, you probably wouldn't because you actually need the demand. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you yeah. need a lot of demand there in order for it to hopefully sustain future yeah. capital you, growth. Nobody else wants to buy this to live in it. There might be an issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so yeah, right. from the investment perspective, you just have to go back to your own numbers and yep. make sure that it works yep. and that you're not paying an emotional price yourself. So you've already considered what your top line is. So what what are you prepared to pay? Yep. Not one dollar more would you be prepared to pay. So what is your walkaway price, essentially? So that's hard because you want to buy a scarce asset for an investment. You want to buy that emotional asset that people are prepared to pay ridiculous amounts for. But I think if you just do the math, do the sums, set your walkaway price, be very firm on that, it's not personal then. It's not yep. personal for you. It's not personal for the selling agent. It's purely about numbers. So then you can start to rationalize and, and, and justify why it's a good investment up to a certain point and beyond doesn't make sense yep. for you. So again, it's not very exciting to go through these processes and it does take time. But look, it, these are huge investments, large sums of money that people are working with. So it makes sense and it's probably on your own interest to just put in a little bit extra time and effort to objectively assess each property on its own merits. Yeah, that makes sense. It's it's a bit like that professional sportsman or sports business mentality, right? You... They focus on doing their best, not necessarily on what the competition can do, especially if it's not the kind of sport like rugby where you're crashing into them. You, yeah. You, you know, you're I don't know, downhill skiing or something where you each do your own run. Like, it doesn't actually matter what your competitors are doing. Ignore them. Do what's best for you. Exactly. Don't they say, that, you know, a lot of professional sports come down to mindset? Yeah. Rather than, I guess, obviously physical strength and skill comes into it, but your mindset is huge. So I think that really plays into property as well. It's not just the property themselves that we're looking at or the competition around it. You just need to think, go back to basics. Is this property going to work for me, my personal circumstances, my needs, my goals for now and in the future? And that's pretty much it. Cool. <laughs> there you go. And probably just, I know it was from availability bias, but I think it goes across probably all of this. As you say, bias your uh, focus on the information from the people who are actively on your team, not from the people who are 
don't mean to say on the other team, but kind of on the other team. Yeah, well, yeah. exactly. So uh, you just need to say and think to yourself, whose interests are these people representing? So the selling agent gets paid by the seller. Therefore, yeah. their interest is with the seller. And a big commission probably based on the sale price. Yes, yeah, yeah exactly. So um, uh, a lawyer, for example, you're paying the lawyer so the lawyer represents your interests. Yeah. Uh, a buyer's agent so if you're paying a buyer's agent directly, they need to represent your interests. Yep. And just a caveat as well, so sometimes there will be people who say that they are buyer's agents but get paid elsewhere. They get paid by the developer or somewhere else or another oh, third party, right? right. Yeah, okay. So just consider where <laughs> yeah. that professional is getting paid from yep. and by because you would think that their interests and their duty is to whoever is, is paying them, yeah. essentially. Yeah. So just be conscious of that and have a healthy dose of scepticism. Um, yeah. All right. Makes sense. Healthy dose of scepticism, I think, is um, is one of the main ways to overcome biases everywhere, right? It's, it's stop and do your best to logically consider the circumstances rather than basically letting your brain make take mental shortcuts. Mm. That's what biases are. They're taking mental shortcuts. Um, and if people can feed information that plays into those mental shortcuts, you'll you'll probably be you know yeah. you're more in their pocket. You'll be you'll be worse off. Mental shortcuts, yeah, they sound simple and easy. I guess that's why we ha- gravitate towards them because yeah. they're simple and easy and don't take as much time nearly as critical thinking. But yep. um, yeah, cool. All right. Well, thank you. So, if anybody's interested, uh, how can they you know? find out more about any of this or what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So people can um, find me at hunterjames.com.au or email me, Rhiannon, R-H-I-A-N-N, at hunterjames.com.au. All right, perfect. And uh, obviously you can find us here on the podcast in a couple of weeks um, for more biases. All right, well, thank you for... Joining us, Rihanna, it was really interesting seeing the different uh, perspective there, the different industry. And as I said, the examples I think are really valuable because explanations people think of logically, but the examples are the things that trip trip you to think, oh, I'm doing this thing that I th- heard on the podcast. I should pay more attention to that. As yeah, go. So definitely. Good. Happy to help. Cool. All right. Thanks. Thank you.